Welcome to the Out of the Shadows podcast. In this episode, we welcome Dr. Daphit Townley. Dr. Townley is a lecturer in the Department of History at the University of Reading. He is an expert in intelligence and cybersecurity. In the episode, we discuss his latest book, The Era of Intelligence in the United States, Public Opinion, National Security, and the 1975 Church Committee. The episode covers the origins of the 1975 investigations into the conduct of the intelligence community. We also discuss the relationship between the Ford Presidency, Congress, and the CIA, as well as the results and the long-term effects of the investigations. I also have to add that we discuss a common area of interest for me and Dr. Townley, that is the Church Committee's investigation of the US government involvement in the assassination of foreign officials. As usual, we conclude the episode with some reading recommendations. I hope you enjoy the show. David, thank you and welcome to the podcast. Um, as I mentioned in my introduction, you are the author of the book, The Year of Intelligence in the United States, Public Opinion, National Security and the 1975 uh, Church Committee. So I'm guessing the first natural question is, what is the Year of Intelligence? Why is it called in this way? Uh, Okay. Uh, well, first of all, th- lovely t- to be on here. Thanks for having me on. Um, I suppose that it is the uh, question that is is probably the first logical one. Um, like historians, well, most historians, the year of intelligence is not a year, lo- year long. Same as the long 19th century that is not the 19th century. You know, we like to sort of label uh, periods so they're easy to measure, but actually it stretches from December 1974, and you could argue that actually it continues into 1978, which is what I do to a certain extent in my book. But for most historians, the generally accepted um, ending of the Year of Intelligence is in April of 1975, uh, when the Church Committee publishes its final report or sections of its final report, carries on into May. Uh, But it is essentially, it is the period in which the bare bones of American intelligence um, agencies, uh, the FBI, the Central Intelligence Agency, even the National Security Agency, are laid bare, not just before the American public, but before the world. And we start to have um, confirmation of some of the, um, how can I say, the issues uh, that have been uh, troubling a lot of politicians and the American public of covert action, involvement in assassinations, and generally infringing on the American public's civil liberties. So I think that's a, a fair way to put it. And we see during this year of intelligence, we see three major investigations that look at uh, the issues associated with the intelligence community. Um. How do these investigations come about? Is there like a particular spark? Is there some event that kickstarts these investigations? Well, you, um, well, you could if you could look at the long-term distrust of the executive branch's growth in power that, especially, had come to the fore in the 1960s with um, American involvement in Vietnam. Um, you could also argue that Watergate was a, a, a significant impact on distrust of, of the federal government uh, with the American public. I mean, after all, it proved that the conspiracies were true to a certain extent. Um, and, and, and boy, you know, does the year of intelligence throw some fuel on that fire? But um, 
what it effectively what really kicks it off most of all is an article by Seymour Hirsch in the New York Times in December of, of 1974, December the 22nd, where Seymour Hirsch reveals that um, the, on the front page that the um, that the Central Intelligence Agency had been uh, spying and collecting information on its citizens. Uh, especially those associated with the anti-Vietnam War uh, uh, movement during the Nixon administration. It does briefly mention that this actually happened as well during the Johnson administration, but the biggest emphasis at the time, because Nixon, uh, remember this is only sort of four months after Nixon's resignation, uh, this is uh, uh, sort of, Nixon is the main focus of this. And this then sparks this, as you say, this, this interest in what has been going on. We see the Ford administration, Nixon's successor uh, in the White House, try to sort of quash any sort of public or congressional um, investigation into what was going on. Um, but essentially, Congress decides that it has to investigate these accusations, um, especially after um, uh, Ford tries to sort of whitewash the whole scenario. You mentioned earlier, you made the reference now, uh, there is a series of investigations. Can you tell us more about uh, what investigations happen, who investigated, how, and so on? Sure. So there's, there's three major investigations, and these are what I focus on in the book, but there's other minor investigations that go on within Congress, as, as, but not as essentially as, as significant as the three major ones. So we have um, three Investigate. The first is uh, um, led by the uh, the executive branch. The Ford White House establishes in uh, early January in 1975 the Rockefeller Commission, um, which is uh, chaired by Nelson Rockefeller, the vice president at the time, and its remit is solely to look at the accusations within the uh, within the Hirsch article. The problem for Ford uh, is that whilst he thinks that this is enough to a certain extent to, to stave off any interest from Congress or, uh, and to satisfy the American public, he fills the membership of the Rockefeller Commission with essentially with CIA support in conservatives, uh, not least uh, uh, Ronald Reagan, for example, um, who essentially are there trying to almost justify uh, what the Central Intelligence Agency had done. In fairness to the Rockefeller Commission, whilst it, it, it does try to whitewash it, um, as with all um, Senate and House investigations, it's the staffers that, that sort of direct the investigation, and they do bring up issues um, that the uh, that the Commission try to, to, to sort of wallpaper over the cracks. Um, the second investigation, and from, from my point of view, the most effective and the one that has the greatest long-term impact is the church committee which is a senate investigation it's a select committee as part of the uh, uh, uh the senate's investigation uh, it, it means that um, its membership are chosen by the uh, majority and minority leaders within the senate um and it's called the church committee because it's named after frank church who is the senator for idaho um who is seen by many as being um good choice to lead. He has extensive leadership experience. Uh, he's still relatively young. I'm trying to work out how young he is then. I think he's still in his 40s, even though he's, he's, this is his, he would be in his fourth term as senator. So he's got a considerable amount of experience at a young age. Um, and 
because of the re public's reaction to the Rockefeller Commission, or not even the findings of the Rockefeller Commission, um, but actually just its membership, um, the Senate decides that it will give the Church Committee a remit to investigate every intelligence community, uh, and it sort of ties off or, or sort of tries to bookend the Second World War as the start, although it does look at the FBI, the early years of the FBI, especially its involvement to, to a certain extent with the Palmer raids uh, at the end of the First World War as being the, uh, the foundation of its um, suppression of political dissent. And I didn't mention that the, the Rockefeller Commission starts in January and finishes in June of 1975. The Church Committee starts in January and then finishes in uh, April, although its investigation actually stops in December. It spends three months writing up its huge voluminous report, which you, know, you can download PDFs of this report. It's probably one of the, the most revealing um, primary source documents on the Central Intelligence Agency, National Security Agency, and so on. Um, and then the third committee is, um, it could be either, you could call it one of two things. It could be either the, the NEDSI committee or the Pike committee. And the reason for this is, this is the House committee that is, first of all, comes in the leadership of Lucien NEDSI, um, who um, has pretty much the similar remit to the Senate, but it decides to focus more on the cost effectiveness of the intelligence community. So it looks at how efficient it was and where the money was spent, as the House should do. The problem for the House committee is that Lucy Nedsey doesn't agree with the way that it should go forward in terms of its modus operandi. So it essentially it comes apart uh, in the early part of 19, uh, 1975. And it's not until um, uh, Otis Pike, representative for New York, takes over its leadership in, in July of, uh, of 1975 that the Pike Committee picks up and starts um, effectively becoming the, the driving force of challenges to executive power during the period. Um, and we see these three committees essentially look at different aspects of the intelligence community over the period. You mentioned at the start uh, that the Rockefeller Commission has a very white and very conservative uh, membership and that it has a fairly narrow uh, remit in terms of what it can investigate and so on. Uh, is the report any good? Is there, can the report be uh, trusted, because I, I found in my own research, for example, that a chap the chapter I was interested in was completely removed by Dick Cheney, who at the time was working at the White House. And so you have an early draft in which there is a chapter on assassination of foreign officials, and then uh, the official uh, report in which the chapter has magically disappeared. Uh, can we really trust anything that is in the Rockefeller Commission? Report? Well, I think... I think you can trust in it because it is actually quite revealing and quite damning of, of the of the CIA to a certain extent. Although it says that it's not, um, uh, it, it says that these are abhorrences rather than than a, than a, a sort of a, a habit that the agency has got into. So, so it talks, for example, about it. It does confirm that the that the CIA had been involved in uh, spying and collecting information on the anti-Vietnam War program. It does, for example, identify that tests were made on um, uh, um, uh, uh, 
uh, army volunteers or not army, uh, not volunteers, I should say, eventually, uh, the uh, testing of LSD uh, on, on certain individuals to see whether it would make turn people into a, a sort of super soldier. Um, the the section that you're talking about is actually then becomes the focus for the vast majority of the, the church committee of, uh, for the early part of it. Um, at the start of the Rockefeller Commission, it was uh, the suggestion was that there would be two reports, one that would be public and one that would be confidential. And the confidential one would have everything that essentially that the executive branch knew of the of the CIA's um, nefarious activities, and the official one would not be a cleansed version, but would be one that would be declassified and not contain information. And a section on assassination plots, because it wasn't included in the original um, accusations, was deemed not to be within the Rockefeller Commission's remit. And so Ford instructed Nelson Rockefeller to essentially stop the investigation into the assassination uh, plots, which it had already done it. It just hadn't printed its report. And um, that becomes the focus then of the church committee until uh, November of 1975, uh, when it starts to, uh, when it prints its first report. I think the Rockefeller Commission, as I said, some of the staffers, um, uh, are really quite important in driving the investigation into the assassinations. They realize that actually that's what the American people want to know about. The reason why they want to know about it is, as you've identified in your own work, uh, that, that Ford makes this uh, revelation at a press uh, press corps evening, press corps dinner, uh, White House a dinner with journalists uh, and, and says, you know, sort of blurts out that there has been assassinations, which, you know, the, the, the editors agree to keep quiet, but eventually comes out in February of, of 1975. And of course, it, all the press then want to know is what are these assassination plots that are involved? And there's lots of um, uh, sort of aspersions cast within the, uh, within the press, but nothing is confirmed until November of later that year when the church committee take over. I, 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 do think that the the whole premise of the Rockefeller Commission is to what well actually let's let's put it another way the Ford administration changes its objectives three times during the year of intelligence so it starts off by trying to stop Congress get involved then it changes it to uh, delaying and stifling congressional investigation and then it tries to gazump the, uh, uh, the, the congressional investigations by putting forward um, its own reforms, which uh, comes through in Executive Order 11905, which you, you, you know you yourself have written about, which is um, a, a significant document, um, and um, it is certainly an effort to try and um, certainly um, nullify any suggestions of reform put forward by uh, the church committee. In fact, it's even timed to be released. Uh, it's, it's ready to go in December, but they, they keep it back because they know that the nearer that it can release it to the church committee's own report, the, you know, the, the better it is for them because they can say, well, actually, we've done all this.
but of course they haven't done all this. Uh, and, and in fact, when we're 905 in, in terms of uh, oversight of the intelligence community, just really looks at increasing executive intelligence oversight. Nothing is associated with Congress whatsoever, uh, whereas the church committee looks at congressional oversight. I thought there was a great point about the Ford administration changing objective as uh, as the investigations go forward, as the process goes forward and so on. Uh, what is your impression of the administration and of the executive? How are they reacting as a single uh, block? Are there rivalries? Are there uh, concerns? For example, in my research, I found that quite a few people were worried that William Colby, then director of the CIA, was, you know, I guess, too open with... Uh, congressional investigations. What is your impression of the administration and CIA and, and of their relations? Um, I, you, when you sort of take this, when I, when I took the, uh, the, the project on, well, when I started the project, um, my focus was very much on, on church. I wanted to focus on church, but actually as more you get into it, my focus shifted more towards Ford uh, because first of all, the documentation that you can only get is is from the Ford Library. There's no, there's nothing in NARA as such, uh, because simply because it's still not been declassified, and we probably won't get it until 2028 or maybe even 2030. Just simply because the wealth, you know, there's huge expanse of documents associated with the Church Committee that need to be de uh, declassified. I actually came to the uh, the conclusion that that Ford does remarkably well in the year of intelligence, um, but um, it's, he, he fails in his overall objective, and I, and I say that simply because we have the establishment of the Senate Select Committee on Intelligence and eventually the House uh, Permanent Select Committee on Intelligence, which, which didn't exist before then. So Senate, you know, a congressional oversight is, is certainly more effective or there is a framework, should I say, for uh, uh, congressional oversight that should be more effective than, than prior to the year of intelligence. The problem for Ford is, is that uh, this comes hot on the heels of uh, Watergate and the pardon. Um, he's also got a huge amount. I mean, it's ridiculous. He's in office for less than 900 days, which is less than, you know, less than um, uh, 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 John F. Kennedy, for example. But there is arguably as much goes on in his presidency of that time as it does in a two-term presidency. He deals with so many... We've got the withdrawal out of Vietnam. We, we have the Maya Gez affair that happens uh, later on in 1975. Uh, we have the uh, uh, various uh, overseas issues. We have uh, SALT II uh, um, um, uh, negotiations. Uh, he has this to deal with. He has an oil... Uh, well, an energy crisis, stagflation in, and in, uh, 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 to deal with. He has New York going bust in the middle of 1975 that he's, you know, he's trying to deal off with. And as well as all that, he's trying to plan for a 1976 uh, election campaign. The problem for him is that he inherits a White House that was, um, first of all, was very insular, had an us and them attitude, uh, you know, the sort of bunker attitude that, uh, uh, that Nixon formed with it during his administration. And the people that he brought into the White House with him were elements of his vice presidential staff, um, also his congressional staff, um, and he has this real sort of um, potpourri of, of uh, uh, officials that work um, for and against him during this period. Uh, Kissinger is 
arguably his biggest uh, um, confidant and source of advice during this period. And I think that that, to a certain extent, influences the way that the, the, that the administration goes. Kissinger, you know, is is aghast that American presidents can't order assassinations. You know, what, what, you know it's, a, it's a fabulous tool for, for foreign policy. Why can't we do it? Or, or, you know, and of course, he's probably also, I mean, it's, it's not in his uh, memoirs, but he's probably also concerned that his own involvement in, you know, the, the, the coup in Chile is going to come up as, as part of this. Um, so we have that, but you're absolutely right. Colby is seen as, uh, as, as a sort of... Um, yeah, a, a wild bull uh, in a in a china shop. He is he, Colby is, is is divisive even amongst CIA historians and amongst CIA uh, officials. He's either seen as a reforming uh, director who brings the uh, the agency into the public eye and uh, you know wipes the slate clean. Or he's seen by his critics as being somebody who is essentially a traitor to not just the agency but the United States by revealing the um, the way uh, uh, the way it goes forward. I, 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 I'm of the opinion that he realised where the the road was going within the year of intelligence, and he tried to preempt a lot of it. The problem was he had an executive that didn't want to support him in that. So. Colby was welcoming of of, um, of congressional oversight. In fact, he, he he sort of asked for it. He he does refuse refuse certain demands of the committees. He does stand his ground on certain things. Um, so he, you know he's not he's not welcoming the investigations with open arms to a certain degree. He does he's just standing ground. The problem w- with it is is that the executive branch is in no way interested in revealing anything that goes on. There are concerns about um, executive privilege. There are concerns about um, um, international relationships with other countries might be put to harm. Um, uh, Kissinger's big issue is, you know, if, if we tell everybody that we've been involved in assassination plots, nobody will trust us ever again. Um, but they do. Um, he, he's wrong in that, to that extent. Um, but the, the entire executive branch doesn't really become effective until September of 1975, when it, for, uh, when it forms a committee or a, a, a group that is, is essentially run to, uh, to counter um, the congressional investigations. Until that point, all it, it is doing is dealing with things on a day-to-day basis in a, in a reactive manner. Um, from September onwards, it becomes more proactive and they can plan forward. The result of which is Executive Order 11905 is, is the result of that uh, intelligence coordinating group. You mentioned it in reference to Colby and, uh, and the fact that he had a good sense of what the US public uh, wanted at the time. And so being open was partially a reflection of understanding uh, the situation of having the pulse of the US public. And in my reading of your book, which might, of course, be completely wrong, uh, there seems to be an underlying argument that uh, those who succeed in this era of intelligence and when they succeed is when they have a good sense of what um, American public opinion wants. Uh, for example, uh, the Church Committee is in a good position at the start because there is a sort of unsatisfaction 
there is no satisfaction out of the Rockefeller Commission. It, it's seen as somewhat of a whitewash, whether the reputation is deserved or not. And then later on, the church community gets in trouble when, uh, I can't remember the name, uh, the CIA uh, guy is assassinated. Is it in Athens? And oh, then, Richard Welsh, yes. Yeah, and the committee is accused, even if it's not true, uh, the committee is accused as a sort of public relation machine is put in motion by the White House to say, see what all of these revelations are doing and so on. Uh, so two questions really. One, to what extent is this reading uh, somewhat accurate? And second, uh, who do you think wins the hero of intelligence for lack of a better uh, way of putting it? Um, okay, so so uh, yes, I think your, your reading of that is absolutely accurate. It, and, and I think the, the argument that I was trying to put forward in the book um, is that um, whilst it's not um, an influence on policy directly, public opinion provides a framework or boundaries within which national security policymakers can operate, especially when it comes to revealing uh, details of the intelligence community, for example. Um, Colby, for example, is, is never re... It's, it's, it's odd, because Colby is the first Central Intelligence Agency director to hold a press conference, a public press conference, in, in 1975. You know, the agency has been around for 28 years. Its, its existence is, is acknowledged, um, but the director has never held any sort of in, you know, public press conference. So th well, that's, that's a step in the right direction to a certain degree. So Colby, uh, Colby does do well. Right? Um, the church committee, um, as you say, picks up on, uh, on the feeling in America in January of 1975. Likewise, Otis Pike picks up on the feeling that nothing has been done this, uh, uh, in June of 1975, uh, sorry, July of 1975. This is because uh, until September, the church committee operates in executive uh, executive uh, session. They operate behind closed doors. They are acu uh, you know, accumulating all this information. They're making uh, deals with uh, the Ford administration to try and get documentation. Its investigators going off. It has more investigators than the Watergate committee. Um, you know, its staff is bigger, it's money, it has more money, um, it lasts longer than a Watergate committee. Uh, and I, it's, uh, but nothing appears to have happened by the summer of 1975. Otis Pike realizes this, and he, this is why he suddenly becomes um, extremely important in the year, year of intelligence, because he, he sort of picks up the mantle and says, okay, well, let's have these public meetings now Let, let's go with what we know and we'll we'll ask the questions in in open session rather than behind closed doors and so he gets a lot of public support for that that you know the press and the public can be behind the problem for him is is that he pushes it too far he starts to uh, he starts to challenge the conception uh, the concept of executive privilege uh, he demands names and memos of uh, state department staff um, that have advised Kissinger. Kissinger famously uh, uh, um, uh, refuses to supply the, the, what is called the Boyat Memo. Um, uh, he offers to give a, a sort of summary of it, which is sounds very Nixonian, uh, similar to the sort of the tapes. I'll, I'll let you know what was what was sort of talked about without giving you the detail. Uh, he and 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 he uses all all of his contexts, uh, sorry, contacts in the in the press to sort of launch a press uh, uh, assault on. 
Pike, and he gets accused of acting in a sort of McCarthyist uh, manner. Um, and so the, the press turn away from him. And as you rightly say, Richard Welsh is, is murdered in uh, Athens in December of 1975. And um, it has absolutely nothing to do with the investigations that are going on. Everybody knows who Richard Welsh is in Athens. Uh, they knew um, before even... Um, I'm not going to say anti-CIA forces, but sort of um, uh, information libertarians, shall we call them, those who reveal uh, details of, uh, of CIA station chiefs around the globe in, in a, 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 a publication called Counter Spy in, um, uh, in, in early, early part of that year. They knew who he was, and he gets murdered not because of the, uh, of the, um, the investigations. He gets murdered because there's a huge anti-American feeling in Greece at that time. Um, and the Washington Post picks up on on this and supported by um, Ford, they, they managed to turn public opinion against um, uh, the church committee. Um, that said, um, they manipulate it. I mean, they do manipulate it brilliantly. They, they have Welsh's body flown into uh, into Washington, into Dulles Airport, they have the the aircraft, uh, the airplane uh, uh, taxi around, waiting for the, the for the live news to start, uh, so that it lands just as the live news comes on. It's given uh, an unprecedented burial in Arlington Cemetery, which is you know only uh, veterans uh, are allowed. What was originally was supposed to go in there. Uh, it's attended by members of the um, uh, the Ford administration, and. They play it. They play it as though it, it's, you know, they suggest without saying directly that it is down to this sort of uh, investigations that have gone, gone on. Um, and the, uh, the problem is, is that church committee doesn't really act quick enough, if I want to, if I can put it that way. They take 15 months to produce their final report. If their report come in nine months, um, which was impossible. It was impossible to do that. But if their report had come in nine months, they might have been even more effective and, and spurred more changes than they did. As to who wins, um, I'm not sure that anybody wins. Perhaps, they, perhaps we all lose. Um, I, I suppose the American public, to a certain degree, wins because there is a system put in place within Congress for uh, more thorough oversight of intelligence community. Uh, the problem, as highlighted by scholars such as Locke Johnson, for example, who have identified that even with a framework such as this that you have in place, you still need the people willing to ask the questions. And the problem was, as, as you know, as, as Democrat uh, representative and CIA critic uh, Michael Harrington had said on a number of times, you know, Congress didn't want to know what the CIA was going on. It still doesn't want to know what the CIA was going on. In fact, we've seen the, the debates on the House floor um, during the creation of the committees that, that, you know, it's all about what can be revealed and, and about how damaging it would be to uh, American national security to have these, um, these hearings in public. Church has a big debate with his vice chair, John Tower and the other um, Republicans on the committee, Barry Goldwater for, Water, for example, when they have their public hearing about the National uh, 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 Security Agency. Um, until that point, it wasn't a, nobody knew what the National Security Agency 
really was. In fact, when they're trying to research it, the researchers thought that NSA stood for no such agency, that, that, that you know, that it was a, a fact, a bit of fiction. And and what we see is, um, in particular, uh, Britt Snyder's work is, is, is really quite influential on, on what we know about the early years of, of uh, the NSA, but we see, you know, that it has essentially been collecting um, information and telegrams and electronic uh, agency, uh, uh, electronic uh, information or electronically passed information, I should say, uh, for decades on American citizens. Um, and because it wasn't um, restricted in the same way that the CIA was, it could operate domestically. And, and as we know in the 21st century, this is just a precursor to what it could do. I mean, one of his investigators, uh, um, Peter Fenn, uh, was saying to me, you know, we were worried about payphones back in 1975. You know, we had no idea how technology could advance um, in this period and how much it could affect us then. So I, th I think that um, the executive loses because it, I mean, it is slightly more restricted in its um, its operation of the intelligence or its management of the intelligence community. Uh, Congress wins, but it doesn't get through everything that it that it wanted. Um, so there's no uh, charters for the FBI that it wanted. It wanted to rewrite some part of the um, National 1947 National Security Act to. to put in a tighter framework uh, for uh, uh, the CIA and it wanted a charter for the, uh, the NSA as well. Um, and it also wanted to reveal parts of what has become known as the black budget, how much is spent on the intelligence community, which is still hidden from the American public. Um, the logic that is applied to this is if, if the money is, how much is revealed, um, American adversaries will be able to guess what the American intelligence agency was up to. Um, and, and, and so I, I think that the only winners are the American public because they have an understanding and a recognition of what is going on behind closed doors. The problem for that is, is that it fuels a lot of conspiracy theories that we see even today, even though some of those are right. Uh, some of, we see a lot more that aren't correct in, in, in the meantime. We hinted at them a couple of times in, in, in some of the questions, but uh, one, I'm guessing one of the outcomes that have outlasted the committees themselves is the establishment of uh, permanent committees in, in the House and the Senate to uh, increase uh, congressional oversight of, this, of the CIA and, other, and the intelligence community. Or if we want to have a more negative view of it, to start um, intelligence oversight. Uh, how do the committee change uh, the amount and intensity of uh, oversight. Is it true that there was pretty much no oversight before the 1970s and that the committees bring a completely different picture? Yeah, the, the, well, the problem is, is, is that because there was no dedicated intelligence agency, uh, intelligence um, oversight committee, um, and in pretty much the same way there's no dedicated now cybersecurity um, Agent, uh, committee in, in U.S. Congress. Um, it, it was sort of overseen by a number of groups who could claim various areas of jurisdiction. So the Armed Forces Committee, for example, would deal with military intelligence, uh, which would include the CIA. But essentially, 
um, the grand old men of these committees would would be privy to certain information, and um, it would be just accepted that that people within the, those running the intelligence community would be uh, were honourable men. I mean, that's the the title of Colby's you know uh, autobiography as honourable men, which you know I think is um, is 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 is. is from his point of view, I, I have a few issues with what he did in Vietnam to be considered an honourable man. But um, certainly, during the year of intelligence, he seemed to act as, as in, in a more honourable manner than, than some of those in the executive. But yeah, the idea that, that these honourable men would work within the constitution would no longer really be questioned. That they, you know, and we know that we know now that that wasn't the case. Um, and so, the what happens with the permanent committees is you have a a, a, a direct a link to um, the executive branch and its intelligence agencies and a system by which they have to answer certain um, uh, uh, questions over a period of time. Um, we have a system in place. But again, the problem is, is so much is conducted behind closed doors. Um, so the transparency that was called for in 1975 is only temporary. And what happens is that, as is the case during the 1950s and 1960s, during the height of the Cold War, when um, you know many of those that did know information thought that it was being done for the you know for the for the good of the American nation, um, they collude with the intelligence community um, over the over the next decades. I mean, one of the if you go back to the CIA torture report in was 2010 2012. Um, Dan Feinstein says in her introduction, you know, we recognize that CIA has conducted these illegal activities and, you know, it did so because the American public and the Senate wanted the results and were willing to turn a blind eye. Um, so even with that framework in place, there are still instances where the American public is willing to accept that the intelligence agencies are able to act unconstitutionally and illegally in the name of, of national security. Um, although it raises a fuss several years on when that issue is no longer uh, 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 preeminent in, in their thoughts. So the system that is in place, we find with the first uh, Senate Select Committee, for example, which is run by Daniel Inouye, who the Hawaiian senator, who is not part of the church committee, uh, um, but a great deal of... The, um, the staffers from the uh, church committee go and work on the first intelligence committee for the Senate Intelligence Committee. And even bizarrely, Barry Goldwater, who is one of the biggest opponents of the church committee as a member on it uh, uh, and uh, uh, opposes all of these sort of reforms that it says is unnecessary, becomes chairman of the intelligence uh, uh, committee a couple of years on, and is actually one of the biggest challenges to the to the executive while he's there as, as chair. So um, the issue the issue is not that there's not a system in place. The issue is about the questions being asked. And at the time, as you rightly said, it was the height of the Cold War. I also think that the Church Committee in 1975 is able to do something it couldn't have done in 1965. Uh, so period of detente, the, the, you know, the, the, the lessening of the international tension, geopolitical tension, is uh, allows that to happen in 1975. In 65, 
Mike Mansfield is calling throughout the 19, late 1950s and early 1960s, Mansfield, the, the Senate majority leader for the Democrats, um, is calling for investigations into the Central Intelligence Agency. And, and, and they're just not even thought of. What happens is that the, the atmosphere changes in 75, which allows these questions to be asked. What then happens in the 80s is that it changes again, the, the Cold War heats up again, and, and you know, we find a, a uh, we, the United States find a different enemy in the 90s and, and the 21st century to, to focus on to be an issue about national security. Um, and, and, you know, it means that um, oversight again becomes sort of secondary to national security issues. I guess this is a, a good segue to my, to my next question, because you, you make reference to it a couple of times uh, in, in, in the book. Uh, these investigations and the committees and so on tend to have, especially I'm guessing with, with the CIA and with more conservative-minded uh, experts, a, a bad reputation. So already starting in the late 1970s, when you have... Uh, some alleged intelligence failures like the Iranian revolution or the Soviet invasion of Afghanistan. You have uh, articles by former CIA officials and experts saying, see, with all the restrictions we put in place um, in the mid 1970s and with how the Carter administration behaved, this was uh, what happened. And to a certain extent, you have the same thing uh, after 9-11. There is, some people made the argument that an intelligence failure of this magnitude would not have happened if we had not put in place restrictions. Maybe we could have gone after bin Laden if we had not put in place restrictions and so on. Uh, and I, I, I sense that you consider this a myth uh, in your book. Uh, why do you consider this a myth or a, a faulty argument, I guess? Um, okay. Yeah, I, I think there's there's so there's a lot of criticisms of the of especially of the Church Committee. I mean, the the Pike Committee is essentially sanctioned by the House. It's not allowed to re, uh, uh, release its own report um, unless it gets um, authorization from the White House. The White House is allowed to censor the report before it gets released. And Pike says, "Well, well, I, that, you know, that's can't have that happening. We'll 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 not release it all." It does get released, gets leaked, as all documents do, uh, gets leaked to um, uh, uh, various reporters and it ends up getting published in the Village Voice um, and you can buy it in paperback, which which I've got now, which is great, uh, a great reference. Um, the, um, the church committee gets done most of all partly because straight after the, the the reports are released frank church runs for the presidency in 1976 and, and everybody says see see all he wanted to do was to generate enough publicity to run for the presidency and and, and you know I, I mean i've argued in another article that that he, he's never a, a serious contender in the presidency even after the church committee um he I, and he probably wouldn't have made a great president either perhaps a good vice president but a, uh, not a great president um and so th there are a lot of criticisms of that you're right about 9 11 um Kissinger comes out on German TV, I think it is, and says that you know that restrictions are brought in in the 1970s, caused 9/11. I think it's Richard Baker who, who, who essentially says this, and you have um, Tom Clancy, who you know the author who, who points out at liberal reforms in the 70s. You know, of course, Clancy is a you know a, a very pro uh, CIA uh, uh, person. Um, 
the, the I it doesn't work for me for a number of reasons. First of all, I don't think that uh, they affect uh, CIA operations that much. In fact, we know during the, the year of intelligence is going on and afterwards, the CIA have turned around and said, well, actually, it didn't really change. Uh, we know from a CIA report that day-to-day uh, -day operations were pretty much standard. Um, we know from um, uh, 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 Colby's successor, uh, Stansfield Turner, who, who says essentially that um, it wasn't the um, the, uh, uh, the 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 day-to-day -day operations that were affected. It was just a relationship between Congress and the CIA that had to be rebuilt. Uh, uh, but he did that. Um, and in fact, he implemented huge reforms in his time uh, uh, as, as director during the Carter administration. The biggest issue was the inter, for me, that led to 9-11. And it's not my, my, my field in terms of that, but my research has indicated that it doesn't it, it contribute to 9-11 or the intelligence phases. The biggest contribution is the the interagency rivalry and a lack of communications between the agencies themselves that contribute towards, um, especially 9-11. Um, it's easier if you are an agency to, to have a target to point a figure and say, this is why we went wrong, rather than conduct a thorough audit, um, especially if you're being criticized by the American public and, and so on. And, and so it becomes a, a very simple target to point their fingers at, especially when you think, you know, the vast majority of those failures are, or, or those accusations are made during um, Republican administrations um, at a democratically driven uh, uh, committee, especially in the church committee. I, I, I think that it, it's a, one of the most significant investigations in the Senate's history, uh, up there with Watergate, um, that does have an impact today, um, but not in the way that CIA supporters want to think. Um, although we see some of the restrictions that are imposed, for example, in the Foreign Intelligence Surveillance Act in 1978, which is a direct you know, result of the Church Committee, we some of the, see some of those um, restrictions eased in the, in the wake of the Patriot Act. Um, which probably accounts, and that's speculation, probably accounts for uh, um, some of the uh, uh, the abhorrences that the uh, intelligence agencies uh, commit in uh, subsequent years. Uh, before we conclude, I guess, we mentioned a couple of times assassination and LSD to individuals who had not actually volunteered, and then some conspiracies becoming truth. So what do you think are the the most controversial or the juiciest finds to come out of these investigations? Well, the, the assassination plots are really quite interesting. Uh, I know it's a, 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 you know, part of your, your research, uh, but I, I, I think that they, uh, what's revealed in those is not only a willingness by not just democratic presidents, but also presidents across the board, you know, uh, uh, and through the ages to use um, its intelligence agency as a tool to uh, to induce assassinations. Of course, they weren't 
like, how can I put this right so that I'm not affected legally? Um, they were uh, involved in the plotting of assassinations, but not in the actual assassinations themselves. And, and even though they knew that the result of their plotting would result in assassinations. And we can go back, you know, certainly, um, you know, the revelations about the Kennedys, for example, and Kennedy involvement, not just in um, uh, Jem's assassination, uh, assassination in in, uh, 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 in Vietnam when he's removed in 1963, but also Operation Mongoose, the long-term attempt to remove uh, Fidel Castro, um, it becomes a, a particular st sticking point for Church because Kennedy is 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 idol to a certain extent, you know, as for most Democrats in that period, um, and Ford um, quite cleverly says, "Look, I, you know, let 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 Church deal with it. You know, let, you know, I, I, if I release it." It looks as though I'm trying to, you know, have a witch hunt against Kennedy. Let let Church have it, and and he's he is clever in that respect. Um, and Church, to be fair, um, does include Kennedy within his report, and he is damning of the Kennedy administration. Um, I think that's really good for those of us. I mean, I, I I've taught a lot on the FBI, so the the two days of hearings on the FBI uh, and its counterintelligence program are really damning for the um, the Bureau and its public relations when it's at its lowest ebb. Um, it had been in in you know in serious decline in the 1960s. But by 1975, the FBI was really seen as being, you know, an agency that needed reform and rebuilding um, after the, you know, the 48-year-long directorship of J. Edgar Hoover. And the hearings that you hear, uh, that you watch, and you can watch them, you can find them on C-SPAN archives all over the place, where um, they reveal, you know, the extent that the Bureau investigated Martin Luther King, tried to induce him to, uh, to commit suicide, um, you know, is, is staggering for many of those within the establishment, especially, you know, some of those on the committee. Um, and uh, there's a realisation that actually, you know, that what the young people of the, of the 1960s were accusing the FBI of was actually happening even though many of those on the committee were saying it, it wasn't happening. So I think that's, that's juicy. Of course, I mean, as far as a, um, as far as a, a, you know, if you want a picture of the, of the church committee, uh, the one that's always brought up is church with the poison dart gun, um, which is on the first day of public hearings with William Colby, which incidentally, you know, everybody says, look, he used that picture uh, to gain so much publicity for himself. But oddly enough, that's not the picture that's on the front of the Washington Post. The front picture on the front of the Washington Post is Barry Goldwater with the dark gun looking through the site. Church just sort of holds it in his hand, but Barry Goldwater looks as though he's going to shoot it at William Colby. Uh, so, that, that, I mean, that's in terms of, of a great picture. Uh, if you delve into the report, uh, you know, the, the report, which, you know, you have to be dedicated to do that, by the way. It's several thousand pages long, and this is the sanitized version that we do. Um, but having done it on a number of occasions, there is a huge amount of information in there that you can find uh, that is really revealing about 
not just the intelligence community, but the growth of the executive branch as well. If you wanted to look, for example, at the history of the, of the presidency, the, the church committees report is brilliant for that. Um, and, you know, we're here as scholars of, of intelligence community and intelligence studies, and we wouldn't be here or we probably wouldn't be adv as advanced in our knowledge without the, the church committee's report. So much of the documents um, reveal the inner workings of how the intelligence community worked. And you know, prior to this, it was, I, I, you know, it was educated guesswork or, or things that, we, that scholars knew but couldn't reveal sources about. This gave us actual documentary evidence and coupled with, you know, the increasing use of the Freedom of Information Act to acquire information allowed intelligence studies to develop both as an academic pursuit um, and also allowed us to, to sort of question, you know, what are these agencies up to in the name of its citizenship? So I, I, th I think... If, if you're going after, you know, a really good bit of gossip, if you want to know, you know, the, the thing that for me is, is the assassinations, but the church committee's report offers so much more than just that. I mean, the assassinations report it comes out in November uh, prior to the, you know, it's, it's deemed to be important enough that it has its own report several months before the final report. Um, and it's a really thorough report. Uh, but the problem for the committee was, it had to dedicate almost two thirds of its staff to, to looking just at this one issue. So there were several other things that they wanted to look at uh, that they realized they wouldn't get through in, the, in their time period. So they had to get them. Now, of course, that is part of the, 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 the objective of the, uh, of the Ford uh, administration to try and sideline the committee, uh, which it does really well. Um, the briar patch is one of one, uh, um, uh, one investigator called it. They said, you know, they led us into the briar patch. The problem was, he said, the, the Ford administration knew what was in the briar patch and we didn't. We happily walked into it. And, and it, absolutely right. It took them months to get through all the information and producers. Whereas they could have perhaps looked at some of the more issues surrounding the efficiency of the communities in the way that um, the, uh, the Pike Committee did. But Nonetheless, I think it's still a significant report and there's plenty there for any appetite to look at. I mean, on the assassination report, they were also dealing with a sort of epidemic of amnesia uh, <laughs> among former U.S. officials, even on events that had been occurring like three years previously, like uh, the Schneider assassination and so on. But uh, So we, I tend to conclude the podcast by asking for reading recommendations for uh, anyone who might be interested in either in the investigation themselves, uh, in the year of intelligence, or on some of the issues that the investigations have revealed. And of course, you can recommend uh, your own book. We always tell people that they can recommend their own book. So uh, well, what would you recommend? Well, certainly. So let's, let's get the, uh, the, the self-publication, uh, uh, publicizes uh, the way. So it's the Year of Intelligence in the United States from Paul Grave Macmillan. Um, I, I, if you're... It, you know, in a university, do get your university to buy it because as with all academic books, it's exceptionally pricey. Um, uh, but you can get it in an ebook. Um, Paul Grave do, do, do a lot of um, uh, 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 things, uh, 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 promotions, which you can get quite cheap as well. 
Um, in terms of the, the, the Bibles that I use throughout my, investig uh, my investigation, so you have to start with Locke Johnson's Season Inquiry, where there's a, a, a new, I say new, there's a relatively new um, uh, copy out uh, called uh, Season Inquiry Revisited. Um, I was fortunate enough to speak and, and interview uh, Professor Johnson, um, who um, is probably, I think, the most prolific author on American intelligence uh, in general that I know of, uh, not just the Church Committee, but the whole concept of intelligence studies. Uh, that was excellent. Um, in terms of the relationship with the press, um, I um, would suggest uh, Catherine Olmsted's Challenging the Secret Government, which is really well written. Um, I'm was fortunate, fortunate enough to meet her at a conference a couple, uh, couple of years ago, and she said some very nice things about my research. Um, and uh, I, I, you know, I, I think that those two are two starting points that you need to write. You get two very different approaches. So, Locke Johnson was part of the church committee staff. He worked on. He was uh, churches representative and he gives a very good insight on the foreign intelligence investigation um, because the church committee split between domestic and, and foreign um, and he worked on the foreign intelligence stuff and he then went on and worked for uh, uh, the uh, senate select committee um, and uh, so he gives an excellent insight to that and Catherine Olmsted is more of an objective view um, of um, the changing voice of the, the press during the period. Excellent. Those are the good two, two places to start. Um, if you can find a multitude of books from former uh, staffers, um, probably the best, uh, well, the, probably the best to read, we've written quite a few, is um, Fritz Schwartz, who was the um, he was the lead counsel for the church committee. Uh, he's written a good one on uh, called Democracy in the Dark, the Seduction of, of Government si uh, Secrecy, which is a, another good read, which in places the church committee in a wider, um, a wider period of uh, um, uh, government, um, uh, government acting behind closed doors, shall we say. I can absolutely endorse all four suggestions, including your book, which is absolutely excellent. Uh, Dafid, thank you so much for your time and for being on the podcast. Uh, I hope you'll have a good rest of the day. Will indeed. Thanks very much for having me. It's been a pleasure to talk to you.